Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Straker. I am an actor and comedian and one of your hosts. My name is Aaron. I'm also one of your hosts. And also an actor. Mm. Mm. A thespian of uh, stage and screen. Yes. Yes, I've been in many, many productions. Many, many productions. Seen by... Not as many people. I think I've been in more more productions than people have actually seen them. Uh, You know what, though? You were in Metamorphoses. Yeah. At at the University of Calgary. Yeah. And you were in uh, you were in the uh, the Irish play in Toronto. Yeah, you actually got to perform on a real stage. When I you did. did that. I, I did not when I was in that same fucking theater. The reality of my situation is, I sold out the grind of being an actor for a steady paycheck and a regular job, which is honestly very admirable. Yeah, the only time I don't find that admirable admirable is when people try to be actors. And then they go back to school and become drama teachers. Mm. That I don't find admirable. Mm. Then I'm like, I don't have respect for that. (laughs) You fucking, you can't even do it and you're going to teach kids. Fuck off. Yeah, I don't really, (laughs) like, I don't identify as an actor anymore, but it was a chapter in my life. But I will say this. Okay, now you say that, but if, if I get a TV show. Yeah. And I write a part for you. Yeah. Will you do it? You know, this was actually the ultimate goal is just to do none of the work and ride Spencer's coattails to, <laughs> to fame while earning a steady paycheck and having my head above water for the, the, the in-between years where things are tough. Yeah. Um, well, I <laughs> – and not, this isn't even funny, but in all honesty, I do really admire your drive as a person. And, like, I'm, I'm being dead serious. <laughs> I thought that you were being facetious. No, no. Feel. And this is something I talk about when people ask me, like, oh, like, why aren't you doing that anymore? I said, I just don't know if I have have that in me to be constantly on all the time and constantly promoting my stuff and you know being that that type of person i don't know if that's me and then also like the 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 non-consistency with money is a big one and and that's something that's i mean i think in most people and why a lot of people leave um pursuing their passions is you know financial difficulties yeah um and i've always like worked and had a job even when I was trying to be an actor. And one thing I love about you is like, you could never work a regular job. Like really really can't. And, and it's amazing. Cause I remember when you had that job at the bakery and you were living in Toronto and you had the job for like two weeks, if even And the fucking, the bake, there was a cafe, right? Yeah. And the the bakery chef threw a fucking pan at you. Not only that, he was French. (laughs) So he was yelling at me in French. And all that happened was somebody phoned and they asked, hey, I got a paycheck and I want to make sure that it's going to clear. I had been there for three days and that kind of worried me. And so I went into the back and I was like, hi, uh, there's somebody on the phone who uh, they're just wanting to make sure that their check is going to clear. And he turns around, whips a fucking frying pan at the wall beside me and goes, don't interrupt me when I'm fucking cooking. And I was like, okay. And I turned around, I grabbed my coat, and I walked out the front door. I left their till unfucking like manned. And then they phoned me the next day, and they're like, 
why aren't you coming in to work? And I was like, <laughs> it's kind of German. I, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> that was like, what do you, what is it? A Nazi bakery? Like, <laughs> I mean, he basically <laughs> fucking was. He also like, like I was there for a day and he started like shitting on Asian people. And, and I was like, I was like, I don't really think you should say any of this and you're doing it anyways. <laughs> One thing I've learned from like working, I've worked in warehouses. I've worked like labor intensive jobs, driven forklifts. It's, you don't think people are really like you you don't realize how wild and strange fucking people are until you work at like <laughs> shitty warehouse jobs like fucking weirdos, dude. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. had some jobs with some really fucking weird and strange people. Okay, we got to we got to crack our beer. Yeah, I let's wanna, sure do. I want to continue on that topic for a second. But our beer this week brought to us by our official non-official sponsor of the podcast, Cabin Brewing. Mm -hmm. It is the Four Alive Fruited Sour. Mhm. Mm uh, I'm excited to try this because I really liked uh, Three Alive, the juice. I think, dude, whoa, dude, like alarm bells in my head, dude. This is like named after the juice. No way, dude. <laughs> Five Alive. Five Alive, bro. Which is like, used to get those in my lunch boxes, and they were. Like a good day is when you got Kool Aid Jammers. A bad day is Ooh. when you got Five Alive. <laughs> yeah, Kool Aid Jammers, the fucking blue raspberry. Oh mm. man, that that fucked. And sadly, a weird memory of my childhood. A good day was when you got Vienna sausages in the mm. lunch. You're like, oh, I this is gross, but I used to drink the juice. Oh, what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? That's used, so disgusting. I used to slurp the juice, the hot dog water, dude. Of fucking course you would. The Fucking hot dog flavored water, you limp biscuit motherfucker. My, my body is built by Vienna sausage. <laughs> Vienna sausage juice. It's actually poured very nicely. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to throw that at me. And my brother were talking about that recently. It's like like we're like it's not even like it was like a poverty thing. It's just like we were fucking weird, dude. We just like really like he's like he's like, Yeah, you remember we used to get Vienna sausages in my lunch? I was like, Yeah, dude, did you drink the juice? He's like, Yeah, dude. <laughs> I can't even remember if he said yeah or I said yeah. I don't remember. I know I did. I drink the juice. All right, let's cheers. Let's drink this juice. Yeah, let's cheers. drink this juice. I'm cheers, excited Samuel. to try this. Cheers, cheers to Sam Sam the Tech Man. Ooh. Oh, wow. It's like my childhood, but alcoholic. Yeah, well, yeah. that was my childhood. Um. <laughs> <laughs> ah, trauma. It's ah. ah, hilarious. Okay, uh, well, you were mentioned then, though, about like warehouse jobs, and then you meet some weird fucking people. Okay, mm -hmm. I got a... I got a story. So I, I, the, the longest day job that I had. Okay. So like when I graduated high school, I worked as like a ranch hand, a mm -hmm. bunch of ranches. Right. Uh, I, I was not <laughs> the, the fucking best at that either. Mm. Uh, I knew what I was doing. I just really didn't like mornings. And yeah. if there's one thing that, farmers and ranchers like it's getting up at the ass crack of dawn yep and then it's like a requirement for the job yeah and and i fucking really don't like that so that that didn't work and then i moved to calgary and i just did like i was a door-to-door -door salesman at one point nice for college pro painting i got really good at selling old people things that they did not need mm. which in hindsight i feel really bad <laughs> yeah about. i feel guilty about that I, too. i feel really guilty about that uh but yeah uh, you were coerced into elder abuse yeah, yeah. And for financial reasons yeah. capitalism and then uh uh, you know, I did like weird odd jobs, but then I worked at uh, uh, I worked at a company that sold barbecues and patio furniture. I'm not mm. going to name it because what I'm about to say is going to get really controversial. So uh, 
I worked there for a year and a half, and uh, I was like a delivery guy. Uh, and, and so I would just, you know, go around the city, basically just listening to music, chain smoking in the mm-hmm. fucking, uh, truck and then delivering barbecues to rich people's houses. Right. And this was like, this was like the job. One guy that I worked with, he, uh, <clears throat> one day, like I'm getting to know him and he seemed kind of cool. Right. Yeah. And I'm getting to know him. And he mentions that when he was in high school, he threw a party when his parents were out of town a police officer showed up to shut down the party and someone at the party fucking shot the police officer with a shotgun and killed him. And he said that to me. And I like, I I didn't really know how to react to that because I was like 19. I was like, Oh uh, yeah, that, uh, that sucks. Uh, the fucking like, and I just, I had nothing like Mm. I, I had nothing. And that was early in the day. This is like first cup of coffee. I'd, I'd love to tell stories about this one company I worked for, but this will kind of set up, let people's mind roll, but it's a warehouse. I was working in a warehouse as a forklift driver, but they made me sign an NDA. So let you think about that. God damn. Let you think about that. That's not good. What sort of stuff they were up to. But yeah, I had to sign an NDA to be a forklift driver. Um, so let that sink in. And I, I would love to tell these stories, but they're the type of people that would sue me. I've, so. I've only had to sign NDAs for film stuff. So that's been like easy mm-hmm. for me because I actually care about it. You know, yeah. I feel like NDAs at like a day job, I'd have a fucking hard time. Here's the other thing I got, uh, at, at that company, uh, there was a manager there who, uh, used to slap my ass every day Ooh. and he would, uh, talk about sucking my dick. Nice. Which at 19, I was like, ha, ah, this is kind of funny. But then I'm looking back on it, and I'm like, oh, I was just being sexually harassed. Yeah, and the sad part about that, too, is he probably was the HR guy. <laughs> he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's typically how those things work. Yeah. Yeah. And and also, uh, he was Asian, so he would make, like, really racist jokes all the time. And then he'd be like, oh, it's okay. I can say that because I'm Asian. And I was like, I don't think you no, can say the N-word. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think that think applies. It does not. No. That doesn't translate. No, I don't think that applies. Although I will say this. When I got fired from that job, I had the best fuck you moment. Yeah. Because, uh, okay, so the, 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 the manager manager who was like a divorced guy mm-hmm. who uh, uh, he uh, definitely – like, you know, he, he only got to see his kids on weekends. Mm. Uh, definitely wanted to do something else with his life. Worked his way up in this company to become a manager. Wait, you're telling me it wasn't his dream to be a manager of a barbecue company? Yeah, surprising, right? Ah, <laughs> oh, dude. Like, Who would have fucking thought? That was my dream before I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> see, I've given up on two dreams. <laughs> I'm just really a quitter, actually. I sold myself out twice, yeah. <laughs> it's not Aaron the actor it's Aaron the actually no <laughs> yeah I think, I think like next I was like, be like Aaron who was also a, you know who at one point wanted to be a barbecue uh, salesman manager sales lead at a barbecue delivery store you know what uh, it, 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 it yeah and you know what I sold my soul to be in the, the new Game of Thrones Jon Snow that's show. true yeah. you did Yep. Yeah, I lost my my dream. I I've, I've really let my priorities lay to the wayside. You've kind of you've kind of given up on a lot of things and just fallen upwards, which I is know. nice. Uh, I like to see a good success. Story. Not really, because it's more embarrassing to fall up the stairs than fall down the stairs. So you know, 
Just how I feel about it. I don't know. I, I think that it's better to fall up. Because you're working against gravity when you fall up the stairs. It's a little more embarrassing. Yeah, but that means it's harder to do. Yeah, but... It is funnier, it is to, funnier watch. to watch. See, there's more of an embarrassing factor, I think, when you fall up the stairs. I would say falling down the stairs is more dangerous, though. But everyone's fall down the stairs. I mean, only if they're pushed. No. I remember distinctly one time holding you by the ankle as you <laughs> almost fell down the stairs. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We no. don't have to get into that. <laughs> it's so funny because Robin brought that up when I when I saw her in Toronto. She was like... Yeah, you know what? You were just standing at the top of the stairs. You were fucking, like, swaying back and forth. And then I was like, oh, you piece of shit. And she just fucking scrambles over, like, as I'm falling and, like, grabs me by the ankle. <laughs> and then I just hear, Aaron! Aaron! <laughs> and, like, this, like, 90-pound girl is holding Spencer by the ankle. Holding my 140-pound ass. Deepest stairs of all time. The, there was a door right at the bottom, too. You would have like, broke your neck. I would have broke my yeah. fucking neck. It would have been bad. Uh, but you know what? Alcoholism. It's funny. Um, okay. So <laughs> let's get into the album. Yeah. This on, was on Misfits and on vinyl. We always, uh, review an album. Yeah. And this and is this uh, one. Okay. <laughs> because we were talking off the top. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead. Kind of makes sense with, uh, the title of the album. Mm-hmm. Cause we were talking about random memories. Yes. And how we access them. Mm. And this album is. Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. Yay! Yay! I am really excited for this. This is this was on me and Sam's top nine album list um, on Instagram. And I know you picked nine because it cropped well in a photo, but it also felt wrong. It did feel yeah. wrong. And I also, I also realized there's albums that I would replace in that top list. But it's, mm-hmm. it's hard to... Okay, first of all, it would be really easy if I made like my top 50. Yeah, I could do that so fucking easily because I, I I would have like some duplicates from artists and stuff. But if I'm doing nine, I can't really like double up on artists. In all honesty, though, who gives a fuck about our top fifties, anyways? That's a lot of scrolling. We're not the Rolling Stone. That's you true. Know? Yeah, we're, we're we're not we're not uh, uh, Fanthony Dan Bano. <laughs> yeah, we're not the needle. needle <laughs> we're not <drop>. the needle. <laughs> we're not the needle. Did you uh, did you see uh, when when uh, uh, he made that video? about uh like this message that he got from drake in his dms <laughs> and he made this whole video about how he like drake sent him this uh this vegan cookie recipe and like he broke it down it's like a nine minute long video and then the next day drake leaks his dms and he's like no that's not what i did and what he did is he had messaged him and basically called him a piece of shit but he <laughs> fucking just doxed himself because anthony made this like joke video that nobody was going yeah, to fucking, yeah no one's gonna believe no one's gonna believe and then all of a sudden the next day drake's just like no that's not what i said 21 <laughs> Can you do something for me? Can you bake some vegan cookies for me, 21? Can you do something for me? Can you do something for me? (laughs) Okay, Daft Punk Random Access Memory. Yes, sir. All right. uh, Released May 17th, 2013. Uh, Recording sessions took place between 2008 to 2012 at Henson, Conway, and Capitol Studios in California, Mm -hmm. Electric Lady Studios in New York City, and Gang Recording Studios in Paris, France. It's their fourth studio album. It's a disco, funk, and electronic album. Very late 70s, early 80s love letter in its sound. Mm -hmm. They said that they were dissatisfied previously 
with their process of sampling and looping following their last album. So then they, they did the Tron soundtrack, and when they came back, they decided to work extensively with live musicians. And according to uh, Thomas Banglader, we wanted to do what we used to do with machines and samplers, but with people. Uh, which makes sense, because there was a fuck ton of collaborations yes, on this sir. album. My God. Okay. Uh, Chili Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. He was in for one day, and he said that they directed him like a like a actor gets directed from a director. Nice. Like they would just be like, "All right, now play that piano session again, but like do it with more love." Like it was just like like weird <laughs> shit like that. That's interesting. Um, Gregorio Morador, uh, the pioneer of disco, uh, he wrote and produced many of the hits for. Uh, I think it's <laughs> Giorgio. Giorgio. Giorgio, yeah. Gregorio? No, it's not Gregorio. Gregorio? Giorgio. Gregio. Giorgio. Giorgio. <laughs> Marauder, I believe. Marauder. Yeah, you, re- you really butchered that. I don't know how you, how you spelt it in the thing, but it's Giorgio Marauder. Giorgio Marauder. He's Italian. Giorgio. Gregory is like <laughs> USSR vibes. Yeah, <laughs> Giorgio Marauder. Yeah, there you go. Usually, I'm bad with names. But I know I fucked this. Giorgio, one up really you really, bad. you really massacred that. I really that, dude. fucking yeah. butchered that. Yeah. Oh Jesus <laughs> you, you, like, Christ! That was bad. Yeah, that was really bad. That's okay. I forgive you, Giorgio Marauder. Um, oh. like super, super influential uh, disco guy. Italo disco mm-hmm. is kind of what he's known for. He's also collaborated on a ton of tracks. I kind of wrote a little section about this. So he's famous for, obviously, he's done some music composing, which I know you'll touch on. Uh, movie composing, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. I know you'll touch on. And, uh, but he's made a ton of Italo disco songs. He's worked a lot with, uh, like, Donna Summers as well. And he's done some noticeable tracks. Like, he helped write uh, the Flashdance song. Yeah. Yeah. And he... What a feeling. Dun, 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 dun. Please believe me. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Can't oh. have it all. I'm dancing for my life. Whoa, Take your be. passion. Do, do. Make, Make it happen. happen. Yeah, great, great song. Yeah. And also, Berlin's Take My Breath Away. Which also, is, a great song. Which is a really good song. And. I mean, I, I believe I wrote more, so please you feel did. free to read away. Uh, I, I also wrote some notes here. I wrote about his film uh, composition, mm-hmm. though. So, uh, soundtracks and scores, including the Academy Award-winning Midnight Express. He also won the Golden Globe for Best Original Score for that, so pretty incredible. Superman 3, which was shot in Calgary. Nice. Uh, and that was the one that had Richard Pryor. Uh, the intro of Superman 3, you see a bunch of downtown Calgary shots, which is really cool, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, it, it's fucking not Calgary, but it is. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the never-ending story, and my favorite one, Scarface. Scarface. Scarface, the soundtrack to Scarface is fucking incredible. And the opening, too, man. It's oh. really good. Yeah. Oh! And, like, okay, like... <laughs> Other other parts of it, like the fucking chainsaw scene. Mm. Holy shit, that scored beautifully. Hi, Siobhan. Hello. Um, yeah, so uh, actually, funny enough, I showed Siobhan the Scarface scene where the chainsaw scene because yeah. I was like, you've never seen this? And I was like, I just cut to that scene because I'm like, you don't need to see the whole movie. It's like three hours long, but you need to see this fucking scene mm-hmm. and like the tension that it builds. And like, oh, God, just so goddamn also, good. Also, shout out to Brian De Palma. Yeah. I like Brian De Palma. I like Brian De Palma, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, moving on from uh, 
Did I write anything Giorgio else Mordor. in there? Uh, I'm trying to think of any other artists I shouted out he worked with. Uh, well, Nile Rogers. Oh, that's the next one. Yeah, yeah he was on guitar uh, of the group Chic Disco Legends. Yeah, the Chic. Just Chic. They're Disco Legends. Sorry, my note-taking is very difficult. Of the difficult group to re- Chic Disco <laughs> Legends. Just Chic. I'm Sorry. highlighting this right now. <laughs> of the group Chic Disco Legends. Anyways, he's of Chic. They do the song uh, Le Freak. So she can also good times, uh, which is the most one of the most sampled songs of all time. It's in uh, Rapper's Delight Ooh. by the Sugar Hill Gang. I know recently Say So Doja Cat. Um, it's in a Beastie Boy song, Triple Trouble, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was also uh, sampled by Daft Punk in Around the World. So there you go. A little so tie full circle. That. Full circle. Um, he also played guitar on David Bowie's Let's Dance. Yep. Uh, worked with Madonna, Duran Duran, NXS, Mick Jagger, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Lady Gaga. Fuck, that's crazy. He helped write Like a Virgin. Ooh. Uh, I think I added a little more about that if you want to read through that. Yeah, yeah. He helped write uh, We Are Family for Sister Sledge. Mm-hmm. I'm Coming Out and Upside Down for Diana Ross. You wrote Diane to Ross. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> I was typing this on my phone. I have fat fingers. And Like a, and like a Virgin. Uh, and he, hel- he helped wrote... Right. He helped write and record RAM. Uh, Random access memories. While he was dealing with prostate ca- cancer. Oh. This is something I had put in. Yeah, I learned. So he had prostate cancer throughout the recording process of this album, and he's cancer-free now. He was cancer-free in 2013. Hey. So that's something I just added a little bit. Cancer-free bit. since 13. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, and then Paul Williams, vocals and lyrics. Julian Casablancas of uh, The Strokes. Yeah, lead singer of The Strokes. He also produced this album as well. Fuck, that's cool. Uh, Panda Bear of Animal Collective. Yep. And then Pharrell Williams. Of course. Which of... We, we, I mean, like, there's a lot to talk about with Pharrell. I feel like we could do a, a whole episode the on Pharrell. The Neptunes nerd. Yeah. He's a super influential um, artist. And the I, Voice. Yeah. <laughs> the Voice, yeah. That's real big. <laughs> uh, not only is he... Influential <laughs> rapper, singer, but he's also a really influential producer. Yeah. Um, he's had his hand on tons of popular music within the past. He's one of those artists that has his his iron in a lot of fires. Yeah. And he's really good at, at keeping them all consistently lit. And when this album came out, this was kind of, I'd say, his real big peak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was all over the place in this period in time. Not all great stuff like Blurred Lines. You can kind of... <laughs> forget Ugh. about forget about but his other you know musical contributions he kind of peaked at this point in time and he was everywhere i actually have a story about robin thick yeah okay and this is a personal connection oh really okay so uh my family used to have a place in hawaii that we would mm-hmm. go to every year like before my parents got divorced and one time we were in a restaurant and in this restaurant was alan thick and his family nice now uh one of his youngest children, my mom tells me this story and she tells it with pride. Uh, one of his youngest children was running around like a little fuck around the restaurant <laughs> and Alan Thick wasn't doing anything. And I was like three or four years old. And I was a kid that liked to play by the rules and I got really upset when other people didn't. Nice. I'm sitting there in my high chair. And at one point, I guess I got fed up and I turned and I said, hey, we're in a restaurant. You should sit down. 
Mm. And Alan Thicke apparently looked mortified. There you go. So there's my Robin Thicke connection. <laughs> uh, I think that that's fucking hilarious. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I find funny about that story is you were able to come up with that sentence, but you were still sitting in a high chair. I was, I was still sitting in a high chair. I mean, I did not grow big, but my brain grew quickly. I am a super genius there after you go. all. There you go. Um, okay, so uh, mastered by uh, Bob Ludwig, and he mastered recordings on all the major recording formats for all the major labels. And on uh, his projects, uh, he's worked with more than 1,300 artists, including Nir- uh, Nirvana, Led Zeppelin, Lou Reed, Queen, Jimi Hendrix, Brian Ferry, Paul McCartney, Bruce Springsteen, and all in all resulted in over 3,000 credits to his name. Wow. 12-time Grammy winner, 31-time nominee. He also remastered all of the Rolling Stones, CCR, and Dire Straits catalogs. Oh, that's cool. So what's really interesting, though, is all of his Grammys came from, like, the mid-2000s onward, Mm -hmm. which is really weird because he had been working in music for a a fuck ton by that point. Um, Okay, so Daft Punk's genre influences uh, Italo, disco rock, soul funk, and house. And it feels like you are traveling through their influences and time periods uh, of their own sound, and it's a great goodbye album. Yeah, I mean, it didn't. They didn't announce that this was their goodbye until a couple of years after, but it feels like a nice goodbye on the album because they do work with a lot of their influences um, directly, like like Giorgio and now Rogers, who was a big disco guy. Um, but they also feel like they incorporate a lot of their own sounds. Like I said, it's like a bit of a travel through their own, their own discography within this album. And mm-hmm. it feels like a really nice send off and a nice goodbye. And it, and it does feel like a, like a cohesive all the way through album. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a consistent theme that runs throughout it. Um, I mean, it's it, one of the things that, I mean, we're going to mention a, about it later, but uh, the, the Giorgio track is actually like really hauntingly beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's like 10 minutes long and it's uh you know he had uh like you mentioned like they work with all these people but they worked with him but he didn't have any say musically in what was happening no he they told him to sit there and tell them his, his life story and then they took that and then they created music around Mm-hmm. his life story and it really complements it and you kind of get like a, a feeling through all of his eras of his work uh, and, and one thing i i like in which they've done before i'd say like a little bit on discovery as well um which it, discovery is my favorite daft punk album um but i this is obviously up there with it um but i feel like they balance you know dance and um you know some emotion and like almost ballad like stuff, but they keep it in a, a dancey sort of way as well. Mm-hmm. They, they have, they're really good at doing that where not everything is just straight beats, straight dancing, like high energy stuff where they, they find a good balance between the both, especially on certain tracks on this album. Like, like you said, Giorgio or touch. I think yeah. there's a nice balance between both beyond and, as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that one, that one does it really well. Um, it's, it's interesting because like, Get Lucky, I will say, is, like, it's kind of unfortunate that that was the single that everybody fucking knew about. In all honesty, it's probably my least favorite song on the album. I would also agree. I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's very good. I think that it's, like, it, it, it is the one that sounds the most like their OG shit, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in a way, but it was, like, 
I remember because like this album came out when I graduated high school. So I have a lot of memories with specifically with Get Lucky playing at parties yeah. my first summer out of high school. And uh that didn't stop for two fucking years it afterwards. It was certainly beat to death. I wouldn't say yeah. it's a bad song, but no. I think it was certainly beat to death with radio play. Um, but, I mean, in the whole of the album, I don't think there is a bad song on this album, but that would be my least favorite. Yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, if I was listening to the album, I'll still listen to it, but it's not one I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I'm kind of like, oh, fuck this. Like, I've heard it enough times. And um, I think it still fits the, the album as a whole, but it certainly um, sticks out as a bit of, you know, it was very radio friendly. And I don't know if it fits the entire theme of it, but. I can't say it's a bad song. It's just not my favorite. Yeah, I I think that I, I would agree with that. Okay, so let's get into the about the artist. Yes, because there's a lot there's a lot to go over with this. Uh, Thomas and Guy Manuel. Uh, Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo mm-hmm. and Thomas Banglater met in 1987 while attending the uh, Lichy Carnot Secondary School in Paris. The two became friends and recorded demos uh, with others from the school. In 1992, they formed the guitar group Darlin uh, with uh, Thomas on bass and Guy on the guitar and guitarist and drummer Laurent Brankowitz. Uh, The trio named themselves after the Beach Boys song Darling, which they covered along with an original composition. They disbanded after six months. Uh, after playing two gigs and recording four songs. Mm-hmm. In September of 93, they attended a rave where they met Stuart McMillan of Slam, co-founder of the Scottish label Soma Quality Records. The demo tape given to McMillan at the rave formed the basis for Daft Punk's debut single, The New Wave, a limited release in 1994. Mm-hmm. Now, they returned to the studio in May of uh, 1995 to record Defunk. It became their first commercially successful uh, single, and the music video for this was directed by Academy Award winner and Jackass co-creator Spike Jones. There you go, and they're wearing like the big dog heads in it. It's a nice, it's a good music video. It's a good music video, and and also like, it's funny because that was around the time when Spike Jones was he had went from uh because uh, he was a editor of a BMX magazine, Mm-mm. and he was also a BMX rider himself. Then he uh, became like uh, a skateboard video fucking yeah. phenom. The blind video. I, I, okay, like, even if you're not a fan of skateboarding, you have to watch the original blind video just for like what he's doing with the camera was so ahead of its time. And, and the, the ways that he's playing with like fisheye lenses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jason Lee, actor Jason Lee, who was a professional skateboarder, yep. he's in that video and he's heavily featured in that video. That, and and that was like near the tail end of his career, but it's one of the most iconic. Spike Jones has such an interesting like progression because, you know, he was doing like skateboarding videos and things like that. And then he was the music video yeah. guy. And then he did stuff like Jackass. And then he started making like really high quality art films, art films. Yeah. It's such a weird, it's not a weird progression, but an interesting progression of a career. But it's also interesting. Cause like it makes sense in a way too, mm-hmm. because he's one of those, he's one of those artists where like you look at him and you're like, you're like, Oh, like you actually are an artist. Like once you fucking find that you've perfected a, a form, you just move on. Well, he was applying like, 
techniques, like technical film techniques to, you know, skateboard videos. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't done before. And then he was doing the same thing with music videos. He was making like really interesting and progressive music videos. And then even like, you know, he did, did Jackass. In, Which at the time it was ahead of its time. Ahead of its time. And then like even her, her's an awesome movie. Yeah. Like he's really a really interesting artist to look at as a whole in his career. Um, just for what he did. And like, honestly, it's really funny too, because like if you look at, uh, specifically in the last like 10 years like what he's doing it's like he's uh this is going to be a random actor thing but as an actor i really want to work with him as a director not because i think that he's like you know a lot of times directors are like these really good actors Mm -hmm. but i feel like he's got such a cool fucking idea for like the worlds that he's building that I think it'd be interesting to see like what he does with that. I also think he lacks pretentiousness, which mm-hmm. I think is makes him a little more approachable when you talk about um, you know, like his movies and things like that. I don't find him very pretentious as a person. Dude, he lives in like a a, a really like small house in in uh like Venice yeah, Beach. Like he's, cool. he's just like he seems he's a really cool, cool guy, yeah. He skateboards everywhere like to get around. Yeah, he's a cool <laughs> dude. He's a cool dude. Okay, so uh so after the music video, they signed with Virgin Records in September of 96. In the mid to late 90s, Daft Punk performed live without costumes at various venues. In 1996, they made their first performance in the U.S. at an even further event in Wisconsin. Using vinyl records from their collection, they were known for incorporating nu- numerous music styles into their DJ sets at the time. Then they released their debut album, Homework, in 1997. It peaked at 150 on the Billboard 200. Went gold in the U.S. Second album, Discovery, released in 2001, peaked at 23, certified gold, single one more time, named one of the 500 greatest songs of all time by the Rolling Stone. Uh, That single peaked at 61 on the U.S. singles, uh, but number one in several countries and on the dance chart. Now, what's interesting about that is especially for an international group to do that at that time, pretty fucking crazy. Quick, like... Discovery, like I said, one of my favorite albums, but like listen to something about us, Veritas Quo. There's some really, really good songs on that album. Yeah, Aerodynamic. Mm. Like I really give it a good listen um, through it, all of it. Like one more time, it's a great song to turn up and dance to, but there's so many more songs on that album that are just even better. So I fully recommend that for a good listen. And maybe one day we'll do a review on it. Cause it's an awesome, it, awesome it's a album. fucking really good album. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of like my childhood. Cause I remember it. I remember that was one of those albums that like everybody was listening to. Yeah. Even if you weren't like a fan of, of dance music specifically, it was just so, uh, it was so good that it, it crossed genres in terms of people's appeal. Yeah. It's a really, really great listen. Something else that was really cool with it is that they partnered with the Japanese magna artist Liji Mastomoto to create Interstellar 5555, which was a feature-length animation set to Discovery. Yeah, which is also a really, really good watch as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, a good one really, to watch on acid. Never have, but that... Really fun. Yeah, I believe, yeah. It. I uh, believe it. I I also have never done that, but I just think that people should try that oh, because I thought, I thought you did and I no. was like, oh that's a that's a good recommendation for our i'm just i'm just uh you know what i'm gonna recommend illicit substances i know nothing about just to make our audience uh try it and then tell us about yeah it. give us a review give us a review <laughs> tell us what you think about it um their third album human after all was more minimal minimalist and produced it they produced it in only six weeks 
it was number 98 on the U.S. Billboard. It was two times gold in France and silver in the U.K. It was their least commercially successful album, mm-hmm. but it was also there, there was a lot less pressure on it than a lot of their other work. It's got some good songs on it too. Robot Rock is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's got some. It's got some bops. It, mm-hmm. it still holds up. Um, so on May 21st, 2006, they premiered a film, Daft Punk's Electroma, at the uh, Cannes Film Festival. Uh, what the fuck? Oh, did you write something here? I don't think I did, did Oh, I? okay. Uh, sidebar, directors for Fortnite. The film does not include... Oh, okay, never That's mind. you, yeah. Uh, the, the film does not include Daft Punk's music, though. Uh, midnight screenings of the film were held in Paris theaters starting in March of 2007. Now, after that, for 48 dates uh, across 20, uh, 2006 and 2007, they performed the Alive uh, World Tour, performing a mega mix of their music from a large LED-fronted pyramid. The mm-hmm. tour was acclaimed and credited for bringing dance music to a wider audience, especially in North America. The Guardian journalist Gabriel Sestan likened it to how the Beatles' 1964 performance on the Ed Sullivan Show had brought British rock and roll to the American mainstream. Now, here's what I'm going to say. Yes, go ahead. There was an unfortunate trend that followed with them bringing electronic music oh, okay, to ahead. North America. Yeah, this is the, we had talked about this earlier. We, we, we disagree on this, but mm-hmm. I, I have to say it. They started a trend that included such artists as Skrillex and Deadmau5. Okay, <laughs> you you kind of like I personally see a value to Skrillex's music and Deadmau5's music. I don't think Deadmau5. You know, I, can, I can't say that I go back and listen to dubstep, but Skrillex as a producer and especially his drum work is pretty freaking awesome. Talk about a flash in the pan. Bangarang was. Yeah, uh, Bangarang sucks. And what was it? Uh, what's the other song? Um, the what? Oh my god. <laughs> That uh, shiny spirits and nice, nice sprites. The Far Cry Three, <laughs> uh, something song. spirits and nice sprites. I forget the name of it. Oh, Anyways. I know what one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, where they he samples the cup stacking video. Oh, god, uh, that was but fucking I think, bad. I think Dead Mouse. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think Dead Mouse has a lot lot of value. I think the Dead Mouse Five is not that great. I think um, he's got a lot of value. He's also can. I you know what I might appreciate him as a producer. As a musician, this is where I have a problem with it. This is, and this is what mm-hmm. I'm going to say. Go ahead, I'll let you finish. Uh, then... There's, uh, <laughs> there's all of his songs sound the exact fucking same. Mm. Uh, same with Skrillex. All of Skrillex's songs sound the same. And all of that EDM shit that came out at the time, and all of these people that were like, "I'm going to be a DJ, DJ Poly D." <laughs> That's another that I would put him in that category. See, awful. I, I, I wouldn't. Awful. I wouldn't just because what. Skrillex and Deadmau5 have contributed to music is so much more than they contributed marshmallow. No. Yes. I feel like you're you're a little bit off on this and I'm going to say it respectfully. You're wrong. I'm um, not wrong. <laughs> you are wrong and I'll tell you why because Skrillex as a producer has made you know many many songs he's in Jack U with Diplo he's a he's one of the top drum producers. You know who else was on that industry. song? Fucking Justin Bieber. Yeah, but it was also a very good song. You do you want to make? You, you, do you want to make it to, to Justin finish, Bieber? To finish, you even admitted before the podcast whether you like to admit this on the podcast or not that you like that song. So no, the Diplo one I do like. 
Yeah, that's Jack U with Justin Bieber. That's Skrillex and Diplo together is Jack U. I thought that was Where Where Are You Now? Yeah, that's with them. And they made another song together as well. Oh, okay. Skrillex, Skrillex is, is, I wouldn't say his music and his dubstep stuff. I can't say I'm a fan of dubstep, but his, his actual contribution to music is much better. See, but that's what I'm saying. It's like dubstep as a genre. And then De- Dead Mouse is also a very influential DJ and producer. I can't say he's even, you could even put him in dubstep because he never made dubstep. He's not really, he's not really that, you, you say, yeah, but you're wrong. He's, he's never made a dubstep song. That's not his, that's not his style of dance music. Um, you don't have to like them, but you can't, you can't say that they were a terrible trend because they both made. You know what? Fantastic- I can say that because you said that CKY was fucking generic. I can absolutely say that. Yeah, but. That's I how, have to defend this now. That's how I'm coming that's, back to that's this. How, that's how I felt about their music, but I didn't state it as a fact that they were you okay, know, on par with Paul What D. am I doing? I am saying that I feel that dubstep and Skrillex and Deadmau5 are generic and overrated. No, but that's not what you said. You said it was a terrible trend. And it, but I'm they going were back terrible. on my word, and that's what I'm allowed to do. <laughs> we can leave it at this. <laughs> I don't think it led to a... Um, I don't think this album in general, but I think Daft punk's popularity certain certainly led to more dance music incorporated in pop music um i wouldn't say that it's led to terrible uh, like a terrible outcome i think there's certainly terrible djs in the world but i I don't think the ones that you highlighted were really the okay ones to highlight like i would highlight like more like the chain smokers or something like that then but see i like the chain smokers yeah well now you're just decrediting yourself as a music reviewer on our podcast is a fucking great (sighs) bop that that honestly that 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 took about four years off my life that that conversation I, I respect your opinion when you say things that are respectable, um, <laughs> which those weren't. I'm um, sorry, but okay. Let's just get back to the topic. Here's hand, what I'm going to have an aneurysm. Here's what I'll say. They started. Uh, they did not start the trend, but the, because they were so good and they made dance music popular, a lot of bad came out of that. But I can't say they're the the only people to make dance music pop popular. No, but they were, they were the ones that made it bigger in North America. Yeah. That I can, that I can, because like there was a, there was a huge, uh, dance music scene in, in Europe, uh, like way before that. And also in Asia at the time. So, uh, it literally is just that they brought it to America and North Americans are really fucking bad at taking things. Well, I think like the late 90s stuff, them and Fatboy Slim and a couple other DJs certainly brought it more to the mainstream. Mm. I can agree with that. Yeah. Fatboy Slim that. fucks. I like fuck. Okay, there you go. Finally, a good opinion. You know Jesus. what? I got I got a few good opinions. <laughs> and to beat that one out of you. Um, <laughs> let's move on from this conversation you know how my because dad feels. I um, uh, I'm getting a headache. So, Daft Punk's performance in Paris was released as their second live album, Alive, 2007, on November 19th, and in 2009, they won the Grammy Awards for Alive 2007 and its single, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. Now, uh, after uh, Daft Punk made an appearance at the 50th Grammy Awards the year prior uh, with rapper... Kanye West mm-hmm. to perform a reworked version of Stronger on stage at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, and it was their first ever televised ap- appearance or performance. Nice, which is pretty cool. 
Then they fucked off and made the Tron soundtrack, mm-hmm. which is honestly the best part of that movie. Yeah, I would agree with that too. That's a really good soundtrack. It's um, super fucking good, and they 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 uh the they scored it, they arranged it, but it was orchestrated by uh Joseph uh Trapanese, which is a really interesting that's last name. That's a great name. Yeah. Um the you come from a line of trapeze artists. I am <laughs> Trapanese. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you guys heard that, but Trapanese is a style of Japanese trap music. Oh, that's so good. That's actually very funny. That's that so was funny. Good. That was good. That was the clip of the fucking episode. Um, okay. Trapanese. <laughs> Make that Katy Perry. Um, okay. Uh, okay. So the band collaborated with him for uh, two years on the score, mm-hmm. from pre-production to completion. The score contains a feature of an 85-piece orchestra recorded at AIR uh, Lindhurst Studio in London. Uh, And then Joseph Kaninsky, the director of the film, referred to the score as a mixture of orchestral and electronic elements. Mm. Uh, Yeah, that was the best part of that movie. It was not... The original Tron is, like, cool for what it was at the time. And then Tron Legacy was just a bad film. Yeah. And but the music was so good. And they made an appearance in that movie as themselves, which is also kind of cool. <laughs> like breaking the breaking the fourth wall a bit on that. Um Okay, so in, in twenty ten, uh they were admitted to the Order uh Order de Arts is de Letterns, which is a order of merit in France. Now, let's get to notable tracks and singles. Mm-hmm. We already talked about it. Get lucky. Played a lot. Yep. A lot of play on get lucky. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Too much. I like lose yourself to dance quite a bit as well. I like that. Um, Instant crush is also a really great single. Give life back to music is Give fucking life back to music. Oh, yeah. oh so good. Um, I, I, I really think like as an album, it's honestly like it's better as an album than it is. Uh, if, if you're just like, like the singles are good, but like, like the songs themselves are good. But I highly recommend people actually listen to it as an album. Yeah, listen to it as a whole. Like even I guess one single that's always stood out to me, I listen to quite a bit is "Touch." Mm-hmm. Um, I just really like the little ramp up. It starts so slow with him singing, and um, and then it just shoots out like a rocket, dude. Like I, I it always you showed me that when we lived in Toronto. Yeah, I was like, dude, it's like so, it's just like feels like you're like in space. I don't know how to describe it. Like it's like space funk. Yeah, it's very yeah. spacey. Yeah, it's really cool, man. Like a really good listen, and the fact that like even. Like not that Paul Williams is a bad singer, um, he just has a di- like a style of voice you wouldn't expect on a dance song. Like mostly, you know, dance music. It's a real sharp voice. It's usually auto tune. There's some which some of their songs have auto tune voices on it, um, but it's like just like really gruff and real um, and. I think it really adds quite a bit to the song. Yeah. Um, and and especially because like like you know if you're if you're looking at the the songs where they are singing on it, mm-hmm. it's very different. Like it it stands out. Well, even like Instant Crush, like Julian Casablancas is a great singer, but he still is laced in auto-tune on that song. Mm-hmm. Um so it it does it's a bit of a change up on their regular song and then even um like we talked, we've talked about a couple times, but Giorgio by Marauder, the fact that he's just talking and saying a monologue, it's such a cool concept. It is a cool concept. Like it's not something I'd like break out at a party, but listening to it on your own, it's a very cool concept. I mean, I'd break it out at a party. I probably would. Uh, like, I, Christ, you're scaring all the 
what the fuck, Sam? You're digging. You're making the clippable moments this yeah, fucking week. Yeah, this Sam is, never wants to be on camera, but he's very funny. He's so funny. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. that was fucking. <laughs> My brother in Christ, you're scaring away all the hoes. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Okay. I would love to actually play that at a party now. And I yeah. kind of want to take over, like, the next time there's a frat party that I go to, I'm going to just fucking take over the sound system and play it. When I was a child, when I was 14 or 15 years old, I learned to play guitar. I would just love to see all of the, like, really, uh, like, angry sorority girls that would happen. <laughs> this, uh, once I put the metronome in, I knew this was the sound of <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing is, when you're making music, you have to uh, find the layers to it and then and then place them together in a way that makes sense, like a cake. And the people would just Dude, be like, what the fuck is you happening? Sound, you, sound, you sound so much like Gregorio. <laughs> Gregorio. 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 <laughs> Giorgio. All right, let's move on to the uh, reception. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Random Access Memories became Daft Punk's first and only album to top the U.S. Billboard 200, and it debuted there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it debuted at number one basically across the world, which is pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, Thriller did not do that. It's a, it, and it, I mean, we're, we'll talk about it too, but I mean it. Tons and tons of great reviews. The Grammys, yeah, like won three Grammys. Like really, it won really five, re- five. Oh, five. it won five. It won Record of the Year, Album of the Year, Best Pop Duo Group Performance, mm-hmm. Best Electronic or Dance Album, and Best Engineered Album Non Classical. Not that it's that big of an achievement because this was the year that uh, Macklemore's The Heist beat Kendrick Lamar's album for yeah. Album of the Year, beat Good Kid, Mad City for Album of the Year. Uh, so. Also, this was the turning point for country music, too, where it, it started to get, like, really shit at the Grammys mm-hmm. in terms of, like, what they were. Because uh, I, I think it was it was the year that uh, George Strait did not get nominated, yeah. but, like, Florida Georgia Line did. And, like, I get it. They were popular, but it's like, fuck N- off. Not that, you know, the Grammys don't get it right. Sometimes they definitely got it right with this album. Yeah. Uh, but they often get it wrong. They very often get it wrong. So um, this is one one time during that year that they got it correct, but the other categories were big misses. Yeah. There's uh, th- yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back here for a second. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, so at the end of the year, it had sold 3.2 million copies worldwide mm-hmm. certified platinum in the U S UK, Canada, Sweden and it was diamond in France. Generally favorable reviews. Uh, Q referred to it as by some margin Daft Punk's best album in a career that's already redefined dance music at least twice. It is, in short, a mind blower. Aggregate scores. Uh, any decent music uh, gave it a seven point nine out of ten, but Metacritic gave it eight point or eighty seven out of a hundred. Uh, I don't know how you, as an aggregate score, you would get two different fucking numbers. Yeah, I would. I would average that out to eighty-four out of a hundred. Then, like, if we're like, because I, I haven't obviously looked at all of the uh, reviews, mm-hmm. but like looking at that, I'm like, okay, like eighty-five percent. Then fuck off, like, because that's dumb. Uh, Rolling Stone gave it four, four and a half stars. AV Club B plus, and Spin was eight out of ten. Now. Random Access Memories is ranked number 497 on uh, Enemies List 
the 500 uh, greatest albums of all time. Enemy gave it a 10 out of 10. Now, I wrote this down. That is surprising because every single fucking album we've done so far, Enemy has shit on so hard. <laughs> they fucking hate everything. They are the actual music hipsters. Mm. They have... They they really are the enemy, and they don't really have a a, a consistent uh, thing that they go off of because they'll they'll review something one way, and they'll say like, uh, oh this fucking sucked because it was uh, it was uh, you know there was there was too many drum beats in it, and then there'll be another album that's like basically the exact same, and they'll be like this fucking sucks because there wasn't enough drum beats in it. <laughs> like they're they're so inconsistent. They're looking for they're for looking things to for dislike. yeah yeah they're they're clickbaity fuckfaces. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now one review that was bad, and I have to bring this up: Aaron Payne of Music O M H. Never heard of it. Uh, he wrote, Daft Punk somehow misplaces the wit and light touch that's pretty much their trademark. Instead, these long epics become somewhat tedious, and there is a strong whiff of egocism and self-indulgence. At over 70 minutes, the album feels rather bloated. Quite a few of the songs are too long or too empty of ideas or too willing to repeat themselves or too willing to play to a type. As in Aaron, I think I speak for... A group of errands for Aarons. We've disowned this gentleman. <laughs> He's no longer a part of the club. All right. Uh, so Aaron, uh, what's your last name? Uh, Aaron Payne. Uh, you're in a lot of pain because you're just pain now. You're not Aaron. Yeah, you're done. You're just known as Pain. You can maybe spell your name as E R I N now, but there's no variations of the A version allowed. No Aarons. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into our fun facts. My fun fact, I guess mm-hmm. I'll go first here. So I was listening to, I keep talking about this song because it's awesome, but I was listening to Giorgio Moroder talk about the recording of this album in an interview, and he mentioned when he went into the studio, there was three different microphones in the actual booth from different eras. Um, so there's one from the 40s or 50s, he said, one from the 70s, and then one from modern times, like a brand new microphone. And each section of his story were recorded on those different microphones oh, that's to represent cool. the section of time he was talking about in his life. And he was like, is anybody going to notice this? But he's like, it's so brilliant that they thought about it. He couldn't, he, he was like, yeah, it's so, like he walked in, there was a couple different microphones. He's like, what's going on here? Like, is it like to try to get a better sound? But no, they they brought these different microphones from different eras to represent the different sections of his life. That's really fucking So cool. their attention to detail on production is untouched, I think, by anybody else in electronic and dance music, and they probably won't be touched anytime soon because they 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 have ideas and they focus on so many specific things within their songs, and they surround themselves with so many brilliant minds that I don't think that anybody will ever come close to touching their attention to detail on their production side. Well, and to do that too on a on a you know traditionally their music is played in clubs and everything, Mm -hmm. and they decide to take a 10-minute song to tell this guy's fucking life story. I just, because, well, I I think a big part of it, too, is, like I said, they're working with a lot of their main influences on this album. Like like we mentioned now, Rogers of the, you know, Chic, the influential disco group. I can't remember what I wrote down, but... uh, Chic... (laughs) Disco group legends. Disco group legends, yeah. Of Sheik, I mean, he's worked on many, many big albums, and like his guitar playing is so 
evident throughout this album. Like it's all over the place, all the big songs he's on it. Um, but he's a disco legend. He's written a lot of the stuff that inspired them. And then them being European and Giorgio being such a big presence in European music. I'm a pooin. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> this is not the first time you shit yourself on the podcast. Uh <laughs> Uh, but his his influence on Italian, well, not just Italian disco, but the big dance music at the time where these guys were young and, you know, coming into their own as artists. I think it's just really cool that they brought those guys together to work with them mm-hmm. on this album. Um, and that, that's why I think they gave Giorgio such a wicked tribute. Yeah. Um, also cool that he's still alive. Yeah, it is cool. It's really cool. Um, okay. My fun fact. I got two. Go ahead. Random Access Memories entered the Canadian Albums Chart at number one, with 46,000 copies sold in its first week. The biggest one-week sales total in Canada in 2013, Mm. which I thought was pretty cool. That is very cool. Second fun fact, their last ever live performance was at the Grammys. Wow. So when they won, that was the last time that they performed together. I guess I have the other fun fact, too. Like, they both have released, we were talking about this earlier, they both have released music, like, Thomas and Guy Manuel released music on their own, but it's not overly popular. Like I was looking more into Thomas's stuff, but his stuff has got like a couple thousand views on YouTube, but he was recently spotted in a Lil Nas X TikTok in the background working on a song with Lil Nas X. So he might be coming back and doing some producing and making some music on his own for more mainstream audiences because a lot of his uh, stuff um, in the, you know, his, his solo stuff is, you know, very specific, certain types of dance music. Um, but listening to them both separately too, it kind of is interesting because Tomas feels like more like the drive, the dance part of Daft Punk listening mm-hmm. to his solo stuff where Guy Manuel is more of like the soul. It's a really interesting, yeah, yeah. when you listen to their individual music, you can see when they came together, why it works so good Yeah, uh, because they both you know, focus on different stuff in their own personal, their own solo stuff. So when they come together, it, it bonds really well, but listening to them separately, you can get why they work so well together. So I'd recommend that to people that are into Daft Punk to listen to their solo stuff. Yeah, no, that mm-hmm. totally makes sense. I think it's really funny. So like little Nas X, I gotta, I gotta take a side note here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when old town road came out, uh, I'm sure you know about this, but for those that don't know, it was initially on the country charts. Yeah. And then Billboard and, like, the Recording Academy and all of these places, they were like, that's not a country song. So they took it off the fucking country charts. So he literally just contacted Billy Ray Cyrus and was like, hey, do you want to do the chorus? And then put it back on the country charts. Mm. Now, what's really funny about that, uh, looking at what was on the country charts at the time, it was a lot of that like really bad new country hip hop where it's like yeah, what do they call bro country? Bro country. Yeah, I like. I hate bro country. Like uh, what's his name? Um, there's one guy, Sam something. Sam Hunt. Yeah, and then there's Florida Georgia Line. Morgan Whalen. Yeah, yeah they're all like bro Thomas country. Rhett. Like yeah, yeah. they're bro they're country. all really bad. Uh, they're, they're the, uh, okay. Bit of good news. Florida Georgia line broke up last week. Oh, jeez, Thank God. I, I, I gotta say that's, that's something for the snaps because, and I'm saying this, uh, uh, we're both Sturgill Simpson fans. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, he got snubbed at the country music awards. And so what he did is he went and stood outside the country music awards, like the arena that it was being held in. And he busked 
<laughs> well, people were going <laughs> in. Cool. And the whole time he was like, yeah, I really hope Chris Stapleton wins. He's the only real country artist in there. And that's all he did. It's the most badass thing that he could have done. Well, just like even like I am a fan of country music, just the way country is now. It's like the snap beats. Everything yeah. sounds so similar. I feel like it's like it's in a transition, but it's not a good one. It's not and a good one. And there's some good. There are some really good new country artists like, that are coming up. Like Casey Musgraves is great. Amazing. Uh, uh, Coulter Wall is yeah, fucking Stapleton's phenomenal. Good. Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson. Uh, you've got like... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's so many good artists. Uh, Winchester Forty Nine. They're kind of like they're kind of like more southern rock, but they would fall into country. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of artists like that that uh, I think need to get more of the spotlight. Yeah, if, I I because just, they're more traditional. To I the just genre. think as a genre in a whole, like if I listen to country radio, I won't enjoy it. But if I listen to country on my Spotify, I enjoy it so much more. And it's not yeah. even just listening to old country stuff. Just certain artists now, um, the stuff that's being getting radio play, it's like a weird country pop miss like like mix mash and it really doesn't do anything for me um like at all and i will say that there's like it's weird because there's uh i would say up until the 90s each decade had a very distinct sound like you got like the 50s hank williams you got like the 60s like uh johnny cash and like outlaw country kind mm-hmm. of thing with like loretta lynn and then you got like the steel guitar fucking ballads of the 70s yeah. Then you got the 80s, which was, like, a little bit more upbeat, and then the 90s, which you had, like, Brooks and Dunn and and stuff like that. There was amazing music in all of those decades that holds up. Uh, Not so much nowadays. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's sad. Like, it's a a bit of a sad state. And, like, everyone likes to be, like, a country music hater. Like, people are like, oh, I like all types of music except country. Which I'm like, you just didn't listen to the right Which I don't think is a valid opinion because I think – the way country is now, you can dislike modern country or what's getting radio play, but as a whole, I don't think it's a bad genre of music. And I don't know how he got into country off of Daft Punk, but it was I think it's a valid. Yeah, I think it's a valid, yeah. valid conversation. Also, uh, Amy Nelson, yeah, phenomenal country artist who lives uh, right beside me. There you I go. won't give away my Sh- address, but that's shout uh, out to Amy. Yeah. All right, so let's get into our criticisms. Uh, we actually had opposite criticisms yeah. on this. Uh, which I didn't notice until we were about to record. Um, so for me, like one of the things that I I, I uh, always find a little bit annoying is l- lyrical repetition, and it's not bad on this album. Like it's not like it, it's not like it's uh, repeated as much as like some of the other uh, like you know electronic music and mm. stuff. But it, it, lyrical repetition is one thing, and it's so minor on this one that I'm I'm only bringing it up because I've talked about it before. I can one track I can definitely agree with you on is "Lose Yourself to Dance," like the "Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, yeah. come on, come on, come on," like that. That gets a very repetitive and, it, and get lucky. Yeah, the, the, those two, it, it's it's the same lyrics over and over again. But I think again, it's a valid criticism. I'm putting I'm yeah. putting that as like a minor one. Now, where, where we completely disagree is I. I think that everything can always be shorter. Mm. And you put at an hour and 14 minutes, it's long, but still not long enough. Yeah. Now I, I, I have to say like my criticism, I think that both, I think both are valid because you love the album and I am, uh, I'm looking at it more like, okay, during the pandemic, ran a film festival, uh, you know, watched literally thousands of short films. Mm hmm. 
And every single one, I was like, this could be shorter. And ever since then, I've looked at everything, every single thing I've been watching or listening to or anything, and I'm like, this can be shorter. I've approached that way with like my writing and my stand-up and everything. Everything can be shorter. And I was like, that's the one thing is that, like, because I listened to this album four times in the past week, and it felt like the second time it, it I, I got to, like, uh, touch or beyond. Mm-hmm. I forget where it was in the album exactly. But I could feel myself losing my attention to it. Mm. And why I said it, because I've been listening to this album, like, close to 10 years uh, I've been listening to this album. I'd say pretty regularly. Um, can't say all the way through for all the time, but I listen to certain tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ten years later, I still listen to the album, and I would love to have had more to listen to because there's nothing else coming. Yeah, which is the sad part. As of now, there's nothing else coming, and I can listen through all of their music, and you know, I'll listen to Discovery on repeat, and then you know, you can go to the next album, and you're like, oh yes, there's there's you can see the progression, you can see the movement. But I would love to have seen you know whether this album has you know three or four more tracks, and they make another. I'd love to see where they go next. That's kind of like you know, I've listened to all of their stuff so much that. I still have the urge for more, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a testament to them as musicians that even though they've given us so much and made so much quality work that you can listen to it on repeat. Yes, but you still have the urge for more. So that's kind of where that came from for me. It's like, yeah, it's long. I can fully say at an hour and 14 minutes, that's a long album. Yeah. yeah. Um, compared to that most, is the longest album we've covered. Most actually. albums are coming in you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes max. Yeah. Like most albums are like a tight 30 minutes. 35 to 45 is about the average. And this one being an hour and 14 minutes. Yeah. That's long. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think it's got ultimate replay value and I could have, like I said, I could have wanted more just because I'm such a fan of the sound of this album and, and the sound of them as a whole. Well, um, and, and, and to, to, to throw it back to our last episode with Bibio now, they since 1995 until 2013, they did four albums, like four studio albums, mm-hmm. two live albums, and a film soundtrack. Yeah, and in 15 years, uh, another artist was pumping out like sometimes two fucking albums a year. Yeah. Right. So, and he's still consistently making music. Now, do you think that your criticism uh, about it being not long enough is more on the artist, though, than the album itself? Well, that's kind of what I was touching on, too. Like, yes, they have they have made a good body of work because mm-hmm. it's all really good music. Yeah. But I feel like they could have done more. And I, But I think a part of why they're so good and why they're so popular is the fact that they were so selective and they were so... Um, you know, hyper focused on each song and the production of each song yeah. to really hit what they were going for. That you know, maybe their discography wouldn't be the same if they released more music. If yeah. they pumped it out in faster amounts of time, like you know, this album was recorded over like four years, and it and it was also uh, almost ten years after their last album had come out. Yeah, you know, like like because they they took time between when they started recording this, they did the Tron soundtrack, which again was different from their fucking album before that, yeah, and and very different from this. So I think that I think that a part of it is probably that it's like they did take a lot of time to create stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like a lot of artists maybe pump shit out all the time, and it might be good, but it's like it's it's not great. 
Yeah, and I that's think, the difference. Right? And I think they also spend a lot of time on some of their side projects as well, like doing the movie, doing Interstellar five five five, and doing like their tours are very elaborate. It's not like just something you just go up and they go on stage. It's yeah. all very thought through. So I think they did like as an artist as a whole. I think they have a great body of work and they everything is very well well thought through but i just wish there was more um that's just how i feel about it and even with this album like i said i wish there was a little bit more even though it is long yeah yeah i could listen to a whole other side of this album and the same sound and see all the things that they they didn't they cut or they didn't use like i would love to just listen to that well and i almost feel like it could have been like two albums yeah that's how i that's how i personally feel with it like i feel like it could have been it could have been shorter, and there could have been like, uh, like it could have been a two-parter. Well, how you know cool- what I mean? It could have been like use your illusions like, one and two. Like how cool would it have been if you look at the album cover and it was two separate albums, and when you put it together, you get that same visual. Oh, of the that, two heads. That like, would have been really how cool would that cool. be? That would have been really if it was a cool. two-part album, and then when you stick it together, you become the complete piece. That would have been really cool. Yeah, yeah that would have been fucking sick. I, I think there's just there's the when something is so great. It, like, you know, like I'm a big fan, but if something's so great, you're always wanting more, even though it was, it's been great. You yeah. know, like how, how many times you see a movie and you're like, oh, this movie's so great. I could sit down and watch it. You know, sometimes I watch a movie and I literally sit down and I watch it again yeah, because yeah. I can't get enough of it. And so that's how I feel about it too. It's like a great movie. I want to sit down and watch it again, listen to it again, listen to it again, yeah, listen yeah. to it again. Um, but the difference between a movie and I guess this is a movie you discover um, more things as you watch it, but I would say you do that. With I guess music you, would, I too. guess you would too. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I guess that's fair. I would say, like, I mean, now I think I've probably heard it all through enough. Where, um, there's not anything new I'd hear, but yeah. But I, 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 I think it's funny because like even songs that I've been listening to for a long time, I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll hear things that like maybe I wasn't like paying attention to the first. You know, yeah, you're right. Times. That was that was a bad analogy on my part. <laughs> 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 we both had bad takes this episode. We both what had fucking know? terrible takes. Should we get into the review? Yeah, let's review? get into the review. Okay, so every episode we review on technical element, musical element, lyrics, reception, album art, and does it hold up. Uh, technical element. It's got to be high. I mean, like, it's, it's technically, it's mixed well. I mean, it fucking won the... Uh, Grammy for engineered album. Yeah, uh, I would probably give it like an eight and a, eight out of ten on technical element. I'm gonna. I won't give a ten. I don't like throwing around ten, so I'll give it a nine and a half. I'll get mm-hmm. pretty close. So we're so we're at like eight point seven five right now. Yeah. Uh, musical element. Uh, I'd probably, I'd probably give it like a fucking eight and a half. I'm gonna go nine with that. Nine. Um, yeah, because I like the blends of sound they give, and I like the like I said before they're. Direct callbacks to their influences is really, I think, really well done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're still at 8.75. Lyrics, I would drop it a little, but not too much. The the uh, The Giorgio track bumps it up a ton for me. Mm-hmm. Uh but it is the it is the uh, sometimes repetition of the lyrics, so I would I would honestly say six and a half out of I, ten. I can meet you with there on that because it's not I mean it's not an album for the lyrics either. Yeah. So I could certainly meet you at a six and a half. That's fine with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's not an album. It's not a lyric based album. So you're not focusing on the, on the lyrics. Yeah. Per so se. so we're at seven point seven five right now. Reception. I mean, it was fucking tens. So you can't. Yeah, you you can't. That tens. Yeah. So so we're at eight again. Album art, I'd probably give it a seven out of ten. It's it's good, it's iconic, but it's like, it's 
I don't know how to describe it. It's like if I saw that at a at a record store. If I didn't know Daft Punk, I I, I don't know how inclined I'd did be you, to pick did it up. Did you see the inside of it? I did see the inside of it. So I don't want to lose any records this time around. Oh, this time you're gonna be careful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I would rate it much higher. Um, I would probably give it like an eight and a half or a nine. It's truly iconic. And actually, I saw something the other day which. Shout out to Etsy, but they had the robot heads, but for planters of plants, and it was really cool. Oh, that's yeah, it cool. was really cool. So I probably will be buying those for myself. So I give it higher. I, I, I'm going to go a nine. Okay, so yeah. so we're at we're at seven point seven five. Does it hold up? I would say yes, absolutely. All right, so seven point seven five out of ten. Can we make it eight? Eight sounds better. Because I don't it know. If, an I think it deserves an eight. I don't know if your math is like because been at a seven. Like I think an eight. I got to give it an I eight. Will put it out there. Technical element, just for the microphone thing for Giorgio, it's a 10 out of 10 on technical. Like, they put so much... Yeah, okay, I'll give you an 8, but you're not getting 10 out of 10 on technical. <laughs> we'll give it an 8. I think we'll it, give it an I 8. I think an 8 is an honest review. We'll give it an 8. I'm coming in for my one time. Okay, that's your one, though. You only get one. <laughs> and if you do it again, I'm hitting you with the newspaper. On the fucking nose. Back in the closet. Back in the goddamn closet. Back in the closet, tech boy. You get one. But I agree with Sam. I think it's an eight. I think it's no, I think I think it's an eight. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, that was good. That was fun. That was fun. I got a little serious this episode because I'm passionate about it. No, I, uh, I get that. I, uh, I'm, I'm also passionate about it. I still it. love you. I still love you too, even though you don't like CKY. Thank you guys for listening. Anal contusions. Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Streichert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's Misfits on Vinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.